And the Toronto Raptors are going to take game three. We have 4.1 left here. In game three, it's 123-109. And the Toronto Raptors, as Evans launches a three that doesn't go, that'll do it. The Toronto Raptors lead the NBA Finals two games to one. Danny, you and I were talking before the game. You said that the defense has been fine. It's a way to get the offense going and maybe the defense feeding the offense. Did you do that tonight? I think we did a better job for sure. Uh, took care of it, didn't turn over as much. Uh, got some better shots. Uh, but there was some lapses, some lows. And uh, we can't let Steph get off like that, like he did. You know, We knew he was going to get him by himself. But we got to do a better job containing him and the others. But um, you know, offensively, we got a chance to move, run, guys rhythm, guys got some open, uncontested looks. And we finally shot pretty decent tonight. Draymond, obviously the absence of Clay and obviously Durant have been, you know, played up a lot. But how big was missing Kevon Looney as well? He kind of threw off the center rotations a little bit. You guys played Andrew Bogut over 20 minutes tonight. How big was not having Kevon out there? I think Bogut played great. You know, obviously Loon has been great for us all year. So, you know, not having him out there definitely makes a difference. You know, not having anyone uh, makes a difference because everyone, you know, when you assemble the team, everyone brings something different. So... You know, but, you know, no one cared if guys are hurt. Everybody want to see us lose. So, I'm sure people are happy they're hurt. We just got to continue to battle and win the next game, go back to Toronto, win game five, come back to Oracle, win game six, and then celebrate. Fun times ahead. Listen, Draymond Green might not be wrong, and I'm not even mad that he thinks that way. He's a competitor. He should. But I also don't care because the Raptors win. Raptors win. Raptors win 123-109 in Game 3. They're up 2-1. First time the Warriors have been down 2-1 in a final since 2015. Yes, the Warriors were down two of their best players, but all of the best players on the floor last night, not named Steph Curry, were Raptors. And that's a good thing. You know what my first takeaway is? I don't, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. It's a lot more fun to do this after the Raptors win. <laughs> do you feel the same? Breaking news. We don't generally Wins are we fun. don't agree on too many takes, but doing the show post-win show, mucho bueno, much better. When uh, New Balance comes with a line of clothing for you, JD, with random slogans. Your first one will be, wins are fun. When, oh, listen, New Balance, hook me up with it. I would absolutely love that shirt. I'm starting to see the New Balance gear leak out into the, to the streets. You're starting to observe the New Balance making its way through the city of Toronto. It's basically some of the coolest clothes that you can have right now. Well, it's not leaking out. People are standing in lines for hours to get I know, but it was kind of a slow release, no? Like, for how long the Raptors have had Kawhi and how long that deal was announced. It's been a while since NBA All-Star Game. I remember I went into a, I went into a store, I want to say two months ago, and asked when they were getting the Kawhis. I just wanted to even just have a peek. They were like, we're probably not going to get them until next season. I was like, next season? What are you waiting for? Now's the time. But if you're building a brand and you want that brand to have cachet, you want it to be cool, you don't want everyone to have it, especially yeah, you don't want right me away. It. You want it in select spots and cool stores, and you want influencers, if you will, to have it. That builds the coolness of the brand, and then all of a sudden it's exclusive, and people, the common folk like me and you, want to buy it. Uh, oh, I, you don't think you're an influencer? Mr. goes down to the bar last night with the people? 
I was working. Influ- influencing the people? Did you have like a drink sponsorship? Did you kind of hold up a Moscow mule and say, these Moscow mules are presented by Donovan Bennett's Moscow mules are presented by Verizon? No, no? I, was, I was not drinking alcoholic <laughs> beverages because I was working. I was bringing the people. You have one, you have one little sip? Water and orange Fanta is what I consumed. Yeah, one little drop. No, zero. <laughs> no, I wasn't there as a patron. I was there as a hardworking. What about on the journalist. way out? No, what on the way out, I went home and I on went to sleep. On the way out, you were like, "Hey, roadies." No, on the way out, I went and prepared for this podcast, which is about basketball. People would be surprised to hear this, but actually, sometimes we talk about the sport. Actually, before we go to basketball, I have one fashion question for you. Okay. Quickly. Can't wait. For well, guess what? Audience, I promise. He, everybody's in good mood today. They're going to put up with me. Just Amal like you. Drew, mark the time so you guys can make this edit very easy for yourself after the fact. When this it is make the podcast. Uh, a new segment I would like to call JD Asks. Sure. Call it whatever you want. No one other than us is ever going to hear it. <laughs> why are NASA clothes cool now? Like, why are people rocking NASA branded clothing? I see it all over the place. And... I want to know why. I've got nothing. You got nothing? No. But you've noticed it too. So we're just both old. We're just out. Like it's done. We're retired. So Paul George and Steph Curry both had astronaut themed shoes come Mm -hmm. out. Not their entire shoe, but a a colorway, if you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, Steph's was because he joked on the wing at podcast that he didn't believe in the moon landing. And Paul George just then copied him. Uh, but in terms of the brand of clothing, I, I have no idea. I have, I have nothing for you. Okay. Uh, listeners of this, of this program, the associates, if you know why NASA is cool, leave it in the YouTube comments or leave it on a review on the old iTunes page. That, that always helps. Leave a little five-star and then leave exactly why NASA clothing are cool now. So you were with or, the people. Or if you don't care and just want to hear about basketball, let us know that as well. Ah, I don't care what you don't care about, people. Like, I'm sorry. That's low on my interest level. You were with the people. You were uh, at the bar, not having a little drop, a little drip. Promise no. You were working. You're a professional. You just were there doing Instagram live stories. Were you by yourself? Who were you with? Daniel Michaud, Faisal Kamisa. Okay. All the heavy hitters. They rolled out the digital studio crew, and they were like, here we come. Pretty much, yeah. We did our digital show from, from the road. We'll probably do the same for game four. I'm not sure if we'll stay at the same establishment, but okay. it'll be the same vibe. So here's my question about said vibe. What was the atmosphere like at halftime? Because the way that I felt it, I was here. I was also working, also not drinking. No big deal. Making sacrifices, doing the good show reaction podcast. But the sense I got from online was overwhelming panic. And, oh, my God, here we go again. The Raptors should be way up way more. And they're only up eight. And it's a ball game, and now potentially here come the third quarter Warriors. I don't think there was panic. People were pretty pumped that the team was playing well. They were into it. Okay. I mean, at the bar I was at, they were giving away prizes, like signed Danny Green jerseys, so that could have been part of it. But I don't think there was panic. It, it was pretty live. There just never was a sense of the fans settling, not that they were playing. But they never really felt like, okay, we can stop paying attention to the game. This is a wrap. I can settle with my server and leave. Mm-hmm. Because even when you know they were up 10, 12 with just a couple minutes left and all mathematical probability says you're probably winning the game, until Steve Kerr waved the white flag and took 
Curry out of the ball game. No one was any less engaged at screaming at the plasma screen in their nearest vicinity. So I, I would say most of the times when the Raptors were, if you, if you look at the the scoring numbers, they were in control of the entire game. Most of the times at some point it just becomes like an elongated celebration full of jubilation, and that wasn't the case. There were highs of being excited for huge threes by Danny Green and lows of being upset at some questionable refereeing choices, but they were never, never comfortable. I'm generally a pretty nervous watcher of sports. Like when I watch, for example, I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. When I watch football games, sometimes when they're losing, like I shower at halftime because I'm like, I got to get the bad juju off. Like I, <laughs> I'm not feeling this. Like I rip through my fingernails. Video guys, do not zoom on the fingernails. Like please don't. I You're just I running panic up your hydro bill because I assure you <laughs> that you – showering like yeah. getting your body wash on yeah has nothing to do with what's going out in the pacific northwest i mean you say that but i think history would suggest the seahawks have been pretty good over the last seven eight years so did you not shower when russell wilson decided to throw a pick basically on the doorstep of the end zone i did not shower that game exactly. and that's why well i'm not saying it's not why but maybe it contributed who knows by that logic which there is zero logic to that. Yeah. Why wouldn't you shower at, at half of every game? Why? 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 It, by and that no, logic, the Seahawks poorly. should be undefeated from now until the end of time. <laughs> no, if it's it's that easy. It's only if things are going poorly because it's to mix things up. Or if they're kind of even sketchy, if it's too tight. I'm like, I don't like this. I don't like the way it's going. Time to shower. Time to change clothes. Got to switch it up, man. You got to switch it up. Anyways, the point of this, exactly. The point of this is that I can be a very, very neurotic sports fan at times. Like I have been my whole life. I once got in a fist fight with my younger brother because he was coming down the stairs during a Leafs Red Wings game. And I swear every time he came downstairs, the Red Wings scored. Like full-blown chaos in our home over my neuroses. So yeah, I think that's called being a psychopath. Yeah, I mean, maybe uh, like I'm here to listen to the argument and I'm also here for free counseling if anybody in the audience is offering it or an explanation as to what this means. But I was calm during most of that game and it felt just very different from me than game two. And maybe it was the, the no clay. Maybe it was just the way that Fred Van Vliet was playing against Steph Curry and maybe it was the fact that basically no Warriors were contributing to the offense in the first half. Wait a but minute, that, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. How was Fred Van Vliet playing against Steph Curry? Well. You mean like running down the other end and saying, good shot, man? Like he scored 47 points. No, no, no. That made you calm? In the first half, Steph Curry had 17 points in the first quarter. When Fred Van Vliet checked into that ball game in the second quarter, do you know how many field goals Steph Curry had against Fred? Zero. Yeah, that's correct. Big goose egg. He had one field goal attempt, and he had two free throws. That was it. Kyle Lowry checked back in, and he was more effective. Steph, Steph had an incredible ball game, but that was kind of, to me, not ideal. Like you don't want Steph Curry going off for nearly fifty points, but near ideal. Like I just didn't want to see the other Warriors players all of a sudden having games of their life. Like I didn't want to see Alfonso McKinney all of a sudden knocking down every shot from the floor. I didn't want to see Andrew Bogut and DeMarcus Cousins getting easy bunnies inside. I didn't want to see Andre Iguodala and Draymond Green catch fire. Like I didn't want to see Sean Livingston posting people up and shooting those little mid-range jumpers, those turnarounds against people. Like once the other Warriors started to contribute, that's when I was going to start to feel a little bit of pressure, a little bit of panic. I didn't think Steph Curry was going to be able to beat a team like the Raptors on his own, even at home at Oracle. But I, I just will say this. I had a, a sense of satisfaction early on 
for the following reasons. I thought the Raptors played just about as perfect of a road ball game as you can play. Like, everyone is going to take this game and say, well, there was no clay, and there was no Kevin Durant, and there was no Kevon Looney, so what do you expect? I, I had people tweeting me that the American broadcast, the ABC broadcast, that someone on it said that iteration of the Warriors would not make the playoffs, which is asinine. The only worst take was the one that you shared on Twitter last night where someone said the Warriors would have won that game if it was Chris Paul instead of Steph Curry. That was the only take I think that was worse than that last night. I just thought that the Raptors came out with a game plan. They came out with confidence. They attacked the basket. They had 38 points in the paint in that game. They got Gasol going early. They let him touch the ball. They got Pascal Siakam going early. They let him touch the ball. Kyle Lowry was looking for his offense. Danny Green was hitting threes. And Kawhi Leonard was basically a non-factor in the first half. Like, I think he had nine points. And he was two of seven from the field with three turnovers. And the Raptors were still up by eight points. They were playing great defense. Fred Van Vliet was once again bothering Steph Curry. And I just felt like, okay, Steph gave an incredible half. Let's see him do it again. My guess is that... The Raptors players, I hate saying role players because they're not role players, but the Raptors starters outside of Kawhi look good. They look determined. They look confident. They seem to understand what is in front of them. I thought they took advantage of it. I was really, really impressed with them for every minute of that game outside of that little spot where they didn't score for four minutes in a second. Well, I mean, anyone who says the Raptors had it easier because those guys weren't playing. I mean, that's true. 100% correct. Like, it's a fact. You take three of the best seven players off of any team and the series is over never mind you know any game i think it's a credit to the greatness of the warriors that this series is still even close because forget about three of the best seven players kevin durant is one of the three best players in the world if you took a kevin durant like player off of any other team they wouldn't have made it to but the we know that but we know that right what so, i'm saying I'm is saying, do, do the warriors still have a former defensive player in the year, Draymond Green, who's playing at his very best right now? Yes. Do, do they still have Steph Curry, former MVP, you know, modern-day Michael, as many people dub him, like Tom Haberstroh? Do they still have him? Yes. Do they and? still have former Finals MVP, Andre Iguodala, who I've been hearing for the last week is a first ballot Hall of Famer, and that's been like the majority of this discussion? I think he is, but yes. They, so, yes, they still have great players, yes. Do they still have, were they on their home floor at Oracle Arena? The place that most people say is the hardest place to play in the NBA. Yes. So spare me the excuses. Like two things can be true. That what do the you Raptors. Mean? No, no, no. You, no, they're not spare you the excuses. Because if any way the Raptors lost that game, you would have come in here and you would have said. Blasted them. Okay. So you're proving my point that the team that no. they were playing was heavily wounded and that they had to win because of it. My point is that the Raptors are a, an unbelievably good basketball team. And their performance in all of this should not be discredited just because the Warriors were banged up. Those guys were awesome. They set historical precedents. Like, they knocked down 17 threes in that game. Those were on open looks. They shredded that Golden State defense. Marcus Gasol, again, got what he wanted at the rim. Pascal Siakam got what he wanted at the rim. Those two guys, 11 of 18 combined when they didn't shoot three-pointers in that game. Like, that was the only offense that wasn't successful for the two of them. Kyle Lowry was vintage Kyle Lowry. Like, what was his performance? I know he had 23 points, but he racked it up. I think he had nine assists. He had six rebounds. He had those three fouls in the first half. And then what did Kyle Lowry do after taking that dumb one where he tried to jump in that, that screen and fouls Steph Curry and puts him on the line or late in the second quarter? He doesn't have a foul for the rest of the game. Like, Kawhi Leonard, who 
I, I think it was Chris Black who works here at Sportsnet who tweeted this. Sorry if it isn't Chris Black. He was like, we're almost taking Kawhi Leonard for granted at this point. Just the way that this he racks up 30-point games just casually and quietly. He was phenomenal in that game. Like the first half, dead quiet. Second half, he's 7-10 to 10 for 23 points. Like the Raptors played an awesome game. They, they deserve credit for the way that they played that one. That wasn't they just eked it out against a bad team. The Warriors gutted it out. Steph Curry was at his absolute best. And we've seen lesser teams beat better teams in this situation. Like the Cleveland Cavaliers, when they were missing Kyrie Irving and when they were missing Kevin Love, LeBron James beat the Warriors twice that year with Tristan Thompson and Timothy Mozgov and J.R. Smith and Matthew Dellavedova. Like there is something to be said for what the Raptors did in that ballgame. That's all I'm saying. I... I thought that the storylines were as following. One, the Raptors took care of an opportunity. Two, yes, the Golden State Warriors were banged up. Like, it wasn't the other way around for me. I think everyone was refreshing their phone to see if Clay was playing. And of I course. think they were doing that because they knew that whether or not he was in the lineup certainly would swing what happened afterwards. But you would agree the Raptors should have done that in game two, like in that fourth quarter when they went ice cold and couldn't take advantage of no Clay. Like, they lost that game. What I'm saying is. They didn't repeat that performance. I thought they showed a lot of mental fortitude. They executed their game plan incredibly well. They shot with confidence. They Everyone got into their offense and their proper offense, and they played great defense. I thought it was a really, really good performance, yes, against a wounded team, but it was a game that they needed to have. Everybody knew they needed to have it, and they played perfectly. Yes. The real impact, and I think, actually, the Warriors, I won't say mismanaged, because none of us know how hurt Clay is, but Clay has been hurt worse before and played through it. He badly sprained his ankle in the finals last year and continued to play, and they needed him. And I do think that it was a miscalculation by the Warriors not to play Clay because you don't want to open that door. And yes, he could injure himself worse and be lost for the series, but you could look back and say, we, we needed that extra win because it's the first to four, and, and you can't blow a win in, in such a close series. And the Warriors are now on their third training staff in three years. They won a title. They got rid of their training staff. They brought in a new training staff. That training staff went to Atlanta with Travis Schlenk, who was their assistant GM before. And so now these are, in a way, new doctors and new trainers dealing with a team that's gone on this run and had to navigate injuries every year. And I just wonder... If you gave Steve Kerr some truth serum midway through the third quarter, if you wouldn't have said, this guy's active, but he's not actually active and playing, we could have used him. Because the thought that you were going to start Andre Iguodala and get anything close to the same production is ludicrous. He was a minus 14 in 17 minutes. Uh, I do think... The Raptors give them credit for taking advantage, and there's no asterisk beside the Warriors championship in 2015 when Kyrie got hurt in game one and when Love got hurt against the Celtics. But I do think the Warriors, if they think, okay, well, it's all going to be different when Katie and Clay get back, then it might be different, but your margin of error is so much smaller now. Yeah, I think it's fair to speculate, but hard to judge because... Everything that I've heard from former players the last week is that it's just extremely difficult to play through the soft tissue injuries. That Clay playing through the ankle is not the same as Clay playing through a hamstring or Kevin Durant playing through a calf injury. And while maybe those guys could have gone and maybe they do go if it's, say, a game seven, 
I think the Warriors, knowing that they were only going to have one game off in between rest, and knowing that they were, that they already were going to be without Kevin Durant, the decision, you can judge it, you can question it, but I don't think we can just crucify them for it. What I'm I will cru- say, this, I'm not crucifying. I just think it's a mistake. Like if someone is at the point where they could play in a game seven, but we don't know then- what that active means. Like that teams screw around with that all the time. Like OG Ananobi's been active for two games, and he's not going to see the floor in this finals. But Patrick McCaw's probably not going to see the floor again either. Like I think that's more. I mean, about- maybe he, I don't think he should. Uh, there's a difference between will and 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 should. But I'll say this: what I think the story about the Warriors is going to be, and I kind of predicted this yesterday, is do you know how many games Clay Thompson played this year? Uh, 79. Played 78. You know how many Kevin Durant played? 69. 78. So Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant, in a year where all you need to do is stay healthy for the finals, played 78 games apiece, and both of them averaged around 36 minutes a game. Then they go into the postseason, and Kevin Durant is playing against the Rockets, and he's racking up 40 minutes a game, 40 minutes a game, 40 minutes a game. He ends up getting hurt. He rolls over the odometer. He gets hurt. Clay Thompson, similar story. All of a sudden, Kevin Durant is out. Clay Thompson has to play more. He's the primary focus of their secondary offensive unit. He ends up getting a soft tissue injury. In a year where one of the teams that made the NBA Finals was known most for load management and making sure that they took miles off of the tires of their superstar, I wonder if the Warriors got in their own heads a little bit when it came to that Rocket series last year and started thinking like, oh man, we really need home court advantage because we went on the road for game seven and if not for 27 missed Rockets threes, we're probably at home and we probably don't beat LeBron James in the NBA finals. Like we're watching a bit of our dynasty slip away and we're going into the final years of Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson with a lot of pressure to win a finals. Well, here's where the Warriors are in a tough spot is Mm -hmm. they have managed their stars specifically in crazy turnarounds or on crazy road trips because the league is flying them all over the place to get them in primetime games on national TV. They've managed their stars and they got in trouble for it. Mm-hmm. Adam Silver said, no, you can't do that. ABC is paying us how much? These guys need to play one healthy. And the other thing is, I actually think that, if I'm being honest, the, the worst, even when guys were playing, were not playing hard for long stretches this season. I think actually the miscalculation by them is not going after home court more because they need home court in this series. The Raptors turned I mean, it you on. I think they just punted on a game, though, where you think that one of their stars could have played at least because they're so confident that they could lose a game, lose home court advantage, and still win the series in the NBA Finals. And now you're going to tell me that you think they think home court was so like advantageous to them? No, I'm telling them that home court yeah. is advantageous. I'm saying if this series starts in Oakland, if the Raptors, the guys who haven't been on the stage before, have to start the series not in the friendly confines of Scotiabank, but on the road, and if they know that there's a Game 7 back in Oracle, the last year that they're ever going to play in Oracle, I think the series is a bit different. The Raptors have a better record by Golden State, by a game. I think mm-hmm. the fact that for long stretches of this year, the team, and this is not even on Kerr himself, it's, it's more so the level of compete that they showed throughout stretches of the season. Yeah, the Raptors accomplished that with playing Kawhi Leonard in only 60 games, which, again, I just think that it deserves a certain level of appreciation for this team this year, that they did lock up home court, because it is more important to them than I think the Warriors. And they did manage a player who, I know Kawhi's dealing with a bit of a bulky knee, but 
I don't think you get here. You don't get to this position without having Kawhi Leonard at 100% and being able to carry you through the Sixers series, being able to carry you until a guy like Fred Van Vliet got going, being able to carry you through the inconsistencies of Gasol and Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam. Like, it did play its part, even if he is a little bit banged up right now. Who impressed you the most last night from a Raptor standpoint? I don't know if I can pinpoint just one person. It's hard because everybody was so good. All the starters were in double figures. I think the Raptors shot. They had the uh, the Larry Bird slash KD slash Steve Nash game. The 50-40-90. The 50-40-90 game as a team. Yeah, one of uh, only three teams ever to do that in the finals. The impact for me is not offensively. I think people were talking about the Warriors' struggles to score by anybody not named Steph Curry are missing the point. I think the misses were on defense. The Raptors got whatever they wanted in the half court last night. Scored 123 points, the most the Warriors have allowed at home in the finals under Kerr. Their starters alone gave them 106. Every starter had 17 or more. Only three teams in the NBA history have ever done that. One of them was the Warriors in 2017. I don't know if I can pick a specific player, but I'll pick a unit if this was, you know, football or breaking things up in offense, defense, special teams, it's their offense. Their offense was outstanding, and that's where they won the game. The offensive execution, big shot making, and on the whiteboard, Nick Nurse, last thing he wrote was let it rip. Mm-hmm. And they did that. Regardless of who was or wasn't playing, they shot their shot. They were confident to start, and they, they set the tone. And, and when you have a Siakam who's confident looking for a shot, not turning down, looks when Gasol is doing the same it feeds to the to the rest of the team if we're going by units I'll say the point guards I'm going to put them together in this one because I mentioned Kyle Lowry a little bit earlier of how he cleaned up his fouls in the second half and he just played a, a really smart ball game even after getting shoved by that reckless fan obviously fans got to go for that shove I thought Kyle in the moment what do you think a little too upset too upset Guy barely touched him. No, that van, he, the van shouldn't have touched him. Sure, I agree. The van like, lucky of course he didn't not. get a two piece in the face. <laughs> that was, that's what you do. We talked about bodying people on the subway. You're just like you're throwing down with dudes over a little shove. Well, your if, father now. Don't you have to be a little bit more responsible than that? If someone walked in the Good Show studio off the street and then shoved you and then looked at you like you were invading their their space. You would feel a type of way about it. I have no. Yeah, I some people felt Lowry should have got teed up for complaining. I felt no problems with it. Ooh, uh, speaking of teed up for complaining, uh, this is just a quick side rant. I don't. You know, people talk about superstar calls and superstar whistle. Draymond Green gets a superstar whistle when it comes to not getting teched up. Like it is truly incredible. The referees look at him and they're like, "Well, Draymond didn't spit on us. He didn't." beat us like that's all we're hoping for from draymond today like he is in officials faces screaming on just about every foul he ever takes and yet he hasn't taken a technical foul throughout the entire postseason like it's a different treatment of draymond when it comes to the officials than other players like you're telling me if danny green spouts off and goes at an official the way that draymond green does he's not immediately getting the the quick t well it's almost like guys who are very very physical defensively you might as well be because they're not going to call every yeah. foul they just can't and it's like bogut in that game just grabbing everybody grabbing gasol in every play he's like do something yeah like draymond is the vocal patrick beverly like he's just going to foul and foul and foul and he'll get called for some but not all but to your point steph curry who never really reacts 
is exasperated on a foul call on somebody else and threw the ball in the air, and he got teed up just because the ref wasn't paying attention and almost hit him. Draymond Green is talking about the ref's kids and families and (laughs) (laughs) eyesight, and and he's not getting a tech. I do think it's gotten out of hand in the league, but at this time of year, I'm not upset when I don't see guys shooting free free throws. I actually think that the key is to have officials who do – go to that side that do let guys have their frustrations as long as it doesn't get personal as long as it doesn't get overly offensive if a guy is yelling and he's frustrated and he's at least having trying to have a little bit of a conversation it's whatever like nothing drives me more crazy than watching mlb umpires throw at a star player because they questioned a strike pitch like have a bit of a thick skin this is the the job you've chosen what's the mafia movie it's like this is the life we've chosen is that sopranos either way that like i don't know that's basically the way i feel ref should be about it but i'll go back to the point guard play because, yeah, you picked the offense. I could not have been more impressed by those two guards in this game. Like, I just thought they gave you a perfect balance and a perfect one-two punch. And it reminded me of a great running back tandem. Like, where one guy comes in and, and he's the, the change of pace back. The other guy is the goal line back. He's the, he takes the first two downs. Kyle Lowry was your first two down back in that game. Like, he gave them... Again, a great blend of playmaking, a great blend of offense. He was aggressive in looking for his shot, and he looked like vintage Kalo, where he's not afraid to take somebody off of the dribble and shoot an above the break three and knock one down in somebody's face. He's not afraid to see a mismatch and try to go into the paint, force some help to come, and then find another open shooter, someone for their own advantageous shot. And the flip side was Fred Van Vliet, who Gasol had a quote about him after the game about how he doesn't know how Fred's heart fits in his chest. And you see that on his defense, just the way that he was relentlessly following Steph Curry around. And I know that it's tough to give anyone defensive credit for a game where Steph Curry played 40, or scored 47 points, but there's a reason that Nick Nurse turned to Fred Van Vliet to start the second half. Then he was not going to let that game get away from him. I thought that was a good move by uh, Nick Nurse, by the way, but Danny Green is having one of his best games. And you're thinking you don't want to mess with the confidence of a shooter that you're going to need throughout this postseason. And still Fred starts that quarter. And, I think this is what Fred is doing so well on defense. I was really trying to pay attention to it last night. It's two things. One is that he stays with him and he just, he stays in his hip pocket. And I think Steph is being bothered by a guy that is smaller than him. He's used to like, you watch Steph against bigger players. He's already looking over top of them. Like he's already looking at the basket. He's been thrown that his entire life. Like challenge Steph Curry with size, challenge Steph Curry with size, try to affect the jump shot. He's perfected the art of shooting over top of people. Fred is doing a good job of staying around his feet without fouling while getting his hands where Steph Curry likes to load the ball. And I think that's making Steph think about it a little bit more before he finishes his shot. I mean, I don't think he's that bothered. He's averaging 34.7 points in the finals. You don't think Fred Van Vliet is doing that great of a job on, on Steph Curry? Well, I've said before that Fred Van Vliet, the numbers show, is the best on-ball defender of Steph Curry that we have in the but league. But no one's going to turn Steph Curry into... He, if Steph Curry's going to take 26 shots in a ball game, Steph Curry's going to get a bunch of points in that ball game. Like, he's the greatest shooter of all time. He's arguably the third, fourth best player in the NBA right now. But it's like in 2015 when Andre Iguodala got praised for defending LeBron, even though LeBron was on a triple-double alert in every game. Like, two things yeah, can be true, man. He, yeah, you made him work, but he still got a lot of points and it was really efficient. I actually think the boxing one was cute and it worked for a stretch, but I think... They were smart not to go back to it. Uh, well, they did at times last night, and I just... I worry that 
the second man on the ball side in that box, so the person who's got a foot on the paint and is basically looking to help, is so far away from Steph. And they're starting that action, not at the three-point line, but extended and farther because he has that type of range where his percentages don't drop, even if he is three, four, five, six feet from behind the line, that as soon as you set a pick on Fred, Curry has so much room to maneuver, to see passing lanes or to get his shot up. And I, I think the boxing one worked on everybody else and it worked in stretches. But again, and I said before that this series is pre-KD and post-KD. And if KD and Clay come back, I don't think it's something that we'll see again. But I also do think that Nurse has played this series beautifully yeah. and he's had tricks up his sleeves that he's timed and used for the right moments and then didn't beat them to death and decided to move on and i think that's what we saw in, in terms of the the point guard play i mean playoff you know to father fred because he has made the distinction he doesn't want to talk about you know him after his kid anymore because the other kid would get jealous 57 percent from the floor 15 points a game before that he was shooting 25 percent for the floor and four points a game it's crazy but i actually think the tandem last night in terms of guards was the way that lowry and green played in comparison to the first two games and last night they worked beautifully together offensively in the first two games they combined for 39 points mm -hmm. last night they combined for 41 14 of 26 from the floor, 11 of 19 from three. They don't hit nine threes combined on the first two games. Kawhi had the quietest 30-point game you'll ever see. but Unless it's the last Kawhi 30-point game. Right. But those guards being able to stretch the offense and give you something from three is so, so important. And they're a much different team when Kyle is hunting his shot and aggressive and when Danny is sticking his threes from the corner confidently. Yes, and, and we set up going into the series. Like, they're going to need Danny Green at some point. And whether Shaq's pep talk worked or whether it's just, you know, an elite three-point shooter who spent his entire career on catch-and-shoot threes, getting a few extra opportunities in a game where he had wide-open looks, uh, he came through. And this is what I really feel good about that game is I think that version of the Raptors, like, okay, shooting, what was it, 45% from three, maybe not that's sustainable it's probably going to drop off a little bit but the quality of looks that they were getting still feels very sustainable to me like even if you get clay thompson back even if you get kevin Durant back i don't think that either of those guys are gonna be able to play 40 minutes i don't think that they're gonna be able to go deep in ball games that they're gonna have to have their minutes managed and that maybe you want to make them work on defense prove that they can still get to that level early on in a series like we saw with demarcus cousins in this game that you know, it's really tough to maintain that after coming off of an injury and being a seven-footer. So, like, we'll see what happens with Kevin Durant. Because Boogie Cousins was a nightmare in that game. Like, he's one of seven. He got barbecued on defense, and he was quitting on plays. He wasn't even able to run up and down the floor. Like, Boogie Cousins was exactly who we thought he was going to be. But my point is, is what feels sustainable is that the looks Kyle Lowry got, the looks Danny Green got, the looks even Fred Van Vliet got, those feel to me like you're going to be able to get those opportunities because Kawhi looks sustainable, Gasol on the low block against whoever they're going to throw at him looks sustainable. And so does Pascal Siakam when he gets a one-on-one. -on -one. And that included against Andrea Godala, who he really struggled against in the third quarter of the last game. But all of a sudden recognized that he was still the bigger player and that he would still be able to dominate when he got it in close over a guy who was smaller. So I think that the Raptors know they can win on the road, that they can hit shots on the road, that they can get open shots on the road, and that they're capable of that level of play. Like, I know that that sounds kind of cliche like of course they know that but it's a big difference to see it especially after what we saw in game two 
defensively, I think the Raptors have been solid, and it's what we've expected. They've held Golden State 109 points in all three games. I like that. It's the the fourth time in NBA history the team has scored exactly 109 points in three consecutive games, which is the most random of stats. The difference is going to be what are you going to get offensively? Can you get above that 109 threshold to 110 and beyond? When you're hitting 17 threes, tied for the most ever in a road game in the finals, yeah, you're putting yourself in a, in a good spot. Don't you think there's something poetic about this, though, that the Raptors' whole struggles has been about hitting open shots? And it really does feel like they're going to have an opportunity to do so against Golden State, and if they do it, they could win an NBA Finals. It was the same against the Bucks. It was the same against Philly. Look at the percentages from the role players, and if they're good, they win, and if they're not, they lose. Like it sounds overly simplistic and pretty binary, but that's been the nature of this team. And on the flip side, it's been the same for the Warriors. Look at the Blazers series. Look at this series. Look at the Rockets series. When those other guys start to step up and hit open shots, they win because the Currys and the Kwais are going to get theirs regardless. The other thing that I think people aren't realizing is, yeah, they won. They stole that game. And they were you know, in control of the, the game for the most part. They let game two slip away. They were, the Raptors were a better team in game one. For large stretches, they were a better team in game two. They dominated game three. They won both games throughout the regular season, both at home, a close one, and in Oracle, they won going away. In this series specifically, the Raptors have outscored the Warriors in 10 of 12 quarters. As happy as they are to be up 2-1, you can make a very real argument. They should be up 3-0 in this series. There should be a level of confidence saying that almost half of the series is over, maybe, maybe more than half, depending on how quickly they can get this thing done. We should be able to get two wins out of the next four games. Especially considering they're going to go back home for likely two of these games. Like, they're going to have a chance to close it out at home in a game seven or in a game five. Like, I think the Raptors have one of the best home court advantages in the entire NBA. Even though, you know, you get hot take artists talking about people not getting back in their seats. Well, that's something to you? No, not at all. The Raptors' crowd, if if we're... doing crowd power rankings. Dummies everybody up as a body bag. No, I'm talking about in this series. Mm-hmm. Raptors crowd was much better than the crowd at Oracle last night. No question. And I wasn't in the building, so maybe it doesn't translate so well on TV. And listen, they didn't have that much to cheer for. But the lasting memory I'll take away from Game 3 in terms of in-arena atmosphere and optics was a large number of Canadians belting O Canada through the, the stand-ups that everyone was trying to do on the court after the game. you see Donovan Mitchell's tweet? Uh, I saw his one about Fred Van Vliet. He said, seems low-key like a lot of Raptors fans are there. Like, tweeted it in-game about how he could hear them cheering. And then afterwards, yeah, pretty impressive showing. Now if Badia is just living his best life. Like, I, I don't think... Anybody on the planet is living better than Nav Badia during this stretch. Like him surrounded by all those fans singing Oh Canada, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful sight. Like I thought about buying a – I was looking at a poster recently or a little canvas. It's a Kawhi Leonard interpretation painting, a print. No big deal. Not that expensive. But I thought like, you know what would be better is getting the Nav Badia surrounded by all the Canadian flags and all the Raptors fans that were on the fan at Oracle if they win this series. I hope he's got some champagne in his eyes. Post game if they win. I hope he gets 
douse a little Don P. Shout out to Nav. You know, going forward, though, too, I guess we can close with this. is like what we expect going into game four, which now the pressure, as you said, is on the Warriors. Now we need to wait and see if Kevin Durant is going to come back. Now we wait and see if they push Klay Thompson. I think that if you were a betting man, you would have to lean to both of those guys play. I was listening to Zach Lowe a couple of days ago. He was saying he thought if the Warriors fell down 0-2, KD would have been in game three. And that part of the strategy for Klay Thompson was, again, hedging their bets, thinking that their best chance of winning the series was to not have a re-aggravation, but just to try to make sure those guys were healthy for the rest of the series. So let's say Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson come back in this game. Do you think there's an adjustment the Raptors end up making in this series, something that they end up changing? I think we see more small ball lineups from the Warriors, which I think you said to start the series could mean more Serge Ibaka. Uh, who was great last night, and it's S- Serge Blocka to you. Right? I mean, it was a Serge Golatenda to me, actually. I think he had four goaltends in that game out of his six blocks, but sure. You can't give the man any love. Well, I'm not giving him any love. I am giving him love, but when he's swatting guys off the backboard, it's like, yeah, that's pretty clearly a goaltend. You know, like he's pinning them on the backboard. Uh, dude, let's uh, let's see some of those uh, stills in the, in, the, in the YouTube version. Maybe somebody needs to go back and check the highlights. Those are some pretty big goaltends. I, I think you're at least happy with the motivated surge because there was that moment in the fourth quarter where he fouls Steph Curry on the jump shot and he has a turnover and you're just thinking, oh man, Serge, like, please, please not now. And you know what? Credit to him. Those were all borderline goaltends. Like they were very close. He at least put again, put the pressure on the referees to make a call and he gave them some good minutes to close that game. And you, you have to hope that it carries over because yeah, you are going to see some smaller lineups. You are going to need some more defense on the perimeter. I still believe Gasol is going to have the bigger impact out of the two guys, but I think you'll see a few more Ibaka minutes, especially if Gasol ends up getting in more foul trouble. I think, and I've already mentioned this, I think you won't see any janky defenses against Steph because even if Clay and KD no, no, no. are not right, even if they are not close to their normal all-star level, they still deserve much more respect than the guys that Curry was playing with. In high-leverage moments last night, I looked up and it's like Steph Curry, Draymond Green, two all-stars, you're right. It's flanked by Andrew Bogut, who earlier this year was playing in Australia. And was much better than Boogie Cousins. In that and game. was much better than Boogie Cousins. It was even. Quinn Cook. Worst you know, player in the game. Uh, but, not named Boogie. But got to the stage from the D-League, now G-League, and Alfonso McKinney, who got to the stage from the D-League, now G-League. These guys are playing real minutes in the NBA Finals. I'm sorry. I thought Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet and Norm Powell and all those guys came from and Danny Green, who didn't come from the G League on the Raptors. Well, yeah, they they have a lot of G League guys as well. But those guys were part of the reason why they're in the NBA Finals. Quinn Cook and Alfonso McKinney are not part of the hey, reason why the Warriors checked, are here. Quinn Cook was one of the big reasons that the Warriors were able to pull that off. Like he hit those monster two threes in Game Three. Yes, but or my two, point sorry. is, even you, as stubborn as you are. <laughs> would acknowledge that Quinn Cook yes. and Alfonso McKinney are not one of the reasons why Golden State had the best record in the West. I think Raptors Pascal Siakam and Fred VanVleet and Norm Powell are part of the reasons why the Raptors had the second best record, but a better record than Golden State. In the East, Clay will obviously be back, and the guy hasn't missed a playoff game since 07. The, the last Warriors team to play in the playoffs Clay looked without pissed. Clay, as he should have been. Clay looked perturbed. The starters for the Warriors when, when the last time they played a playoff game without Clay. Baron Davis, Monta Ellis, Jason Richardson, Steven Jackson, Al Harrington. Yeah, he's a warrior. He's well-renowned for it. All of those guys have not played basketball for a long time. If you 
don't understand the point I'm trying to make. I said in the Philly series, winner of game four wins the series. I said in the Milwaukee series, winner of game four wins the series. I say again, I think the winner of game four wins the series. I think if the Raptors go up 3-1 and they have two chances at home to finish it off, I think they should be feeling really good no matter who is playing for Golden State. But if they are able to assimilate Katie and Clay back into the lineup, and now you already have Steph, who is on a roll, who can smell a finals MVP if they happen to win it because of the circumstance. I mean, Draymond laid out the scenario for you. I think that's a, that's a beast that you should be afraid of. So as much as the last time we recorded, I said game three is uber important because you have to take advantage of the Warriors with their stars out. Think game four is uber important because you have to take advantage of the Warriors with them assimilating some of those banged up stars back into the ball game. You know what I like about game four? What? It's more important to the Warriors. Because you go down three one, it's toast. I, think I don't think more that they're gonna pressure. be involved in two series where they see a team blow a three one lead. I think there's more pressure on the Warriors. I don't know if it's more important to them. It's more important that they win that game than if it is for the Raptors. Raptors lose that game. They still have home court advantage. They'll still be coming home for game five with an opportunity to go up, and then they'll still have an opportunity to close it on their home floor in game seven. Listen, they've done what they needed to do. You go on the road, you're looking to get one. They've got their one in their back pocket after playing one. But if they lose game four, and this all depends on how they lose as well. Losing by 25 is different than losing by one at the buzzer. But if they lose game four, they're going to hear if they're paying attention all throughout the layoff between game four and game five well it was competitive until it's not the warriors are back this is the best team in basketball crown them like anyone who thought that this raptors team would have had a seed of mental doubt coming into the series and has been pleasantly surprised that they don't it could creep in if katie and clay come back and they look like the dominant team that we know they can be. Because everything being equal, if we're just talking about talent, the Raptors should lose. Like, the Warriors have more talent. But it's it, this is not the Olympics where you're doing a bunch of individual activities. This is a team sport. And the, the point is, can the Raptors prove that they are the better team over the course of a four out of seven? And out of three, so far, they've been able to do that. Sleep on the Raptors at your peril. I'm sorry, are you saying the Raptors have more talent? No, I'm just saying that I, the Raptors right now are favored in this series for a reason. Uh, we got to wrap up. Good show podcast. Tom Thibodeau, Alvin Williams, David Aldridge. And we will have more free association oh, after game four. And I'm super glad Emil brought this up before we go. By the way, happy belated birthday, Al. We missed you last time. He said it? It's your birthday today? No. Two days ago? Yes. Wow. Happy birthday. Thank you. What'd you do? Work? Yes. <laughs> you didn't even have your, treat yourself to one little drink at that event, at that bar, for a birthday little sip. Well, it wasn't my birthday at that event. Yeah. Did You're your, saying. Amo reminded you. Yeah, I mean, happy birthday to both of you, but he just kind of took over your birthday here. By, you were the, the latest birthday boy. Did you get anything cool? Did He's you, more important than I Did your wife get you something? Like, is, like, what goes down for Donovan Bennett's birthday? What kind of cake do you like? You get a cupcake? You get a carrot cake? I didn't get a cupcake or a no, carrot cake. No, you don't do that? Nobody cares about what I did for my <laughs> No, cupcake. I care. I'm asking you. What'd you do? 
I went out for dinner with my wife. What oh, that's you, very nice. Where'd what you go? Did I, that's not somewhere for what? For my birthday. That, is no, that I know, not for, what we're talking no, no, about? No, for like what kind of food? What what's Donovan Bennett's birthday food? It had nothing to do with the type of food. It had to do with the proximity to my house so I could get home to oh, you're already, my Oh, you're child. already parents. Like, you're already full-blown parents. Eh? You're just like, just next door. Uh, just next door. Just leave the sweatpants on. And we'll just, yeah, we'll, we'll, sorry. We'll just, can we get this in a doggy bag? We have to get back uh, to our child. That's where you're at already? For the, the four the romance people is gone. who are still listening, what did you want to say? Uh, Sportsnet. It's where we work. Yep. Two and O. Oh. In the NBA Finals, when broadcasting the games, so uh, this two is a- and oh, in elimination games, Game Seven against Philly, Game Six a- against the Bucks. I'm just saying, maybe one network does the right thing, gives the rest of the games to the the hot hand. Like, let's just. You'd hate to see it. You'd hate to see it get worse on the other network. This- is all I'm saying. Well, we have uh, we have more Finals games. We have. We had one. Do, do we have two more? We have five and seven. So don't don't be <laughs> concerned. This is an an audio. It's a wrap. <laughs> it's an audio platform, and and for those listening who aren't watching it on YouTube, he's literally put up a two with his fingers and an O. Yeah. As to that's right. Respect the brand. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this brand. It's free association. Share it. It is free. It is for you. We talk basketball. We'll do it after game four. Share it. Review it. Tell a friend. See ya.